the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. My dear Christian friends, my daughter Lydia is a sophomore at a private Presbyterian university in Iowa. She has a theology professor that has assigned a paper to her class of writing about the gender of God. See, all this past semester, the theology professor has been leading her class to question God's gender. She says that <clears throat> scripture at times pictures God as male, and other times as female, and still other times as having no gender or multi-gender. Lydia has the inner conflict that all of us have when we're facing this kind of false theology. Does she keep her head down and her mouth shut and get a good grade, or does she speak out and stand up and possibly tank her grade? I'm going to read to you the last two paragraphs from her paper. I'll let you decide what she did. I believe that the question of whether God has a gender does have implications for how we view ourselves and humankind. This is because the God of the Bible is unchanging. If humans try to change the gender of God, they are breaking the second commandment that God gave to his people from Mount Sinai. The second commandment states, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. If humans try to change the gender of God that God clearly gives for people to refer to him, then they are misusing God's name and are blaspheming. The article from Women's Ordination misuses God's word and twists it to make God appear as feminine. The Holy Spirit is clearly using a metaphor. And that article talked about a metaphor of God as a mother hen and as a mother bear to demonstrate how God is caring and protective like a mother, not that he is a mother. If these passages were to be taken literally, then God would literally be a bear and a hen. That's just silly. More than that, it's blasphemy. There are many different ways that people think of God. People use many different names to refer to God. Referring to God as anything but male is changing what God says about himself. God's word by inspiration of the Holy Spirit is very clear. The God of the Bible describes himself as male. To question, doubt, change, or twist God's word in any way to say anything different is, in today's language, misgendering God. Now, I tell you that story because this subject is not confined to one student in one theology class. These are the kinds of questions, doubts, debates, and denials of the truths of God and his word that are faced by Christians all the time. These are the kinds of things that are being taught in public high schools, colleges, and universities. This kind of thinking has infiltrated workplaces and businesses, the military, the media, social media, Hollywood, and our government. This false theology about God has, and his gender has even infiltrated churches. Here's a quote from a wolf in sheep's clothing to his flock recently in a sermon. He said, God is gay. God is a lesbian. God is trans. God is gender non-binary. God is straight. God is cisgender. No, God is none of those things. 
You see, there is a lot of spiritual darkness in our culture. Some people are questioning out of doubt and confusion. Others are questioning because they are preaching blasphemy and heresy. But there's still plenty of others that have legitimate questions. Jesus teaches us how to answer these questions in the darkness with his conversation with Nicodemus. Nicodemus has a lot of questions for Jesus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's one of the Jewish ruling council. And so the Pharisees already have a, a thing for Jesus and his ministry. And so Nicodemus meets with Jesus secretly at night. It is a rabbi meeting with the rabbi. Nicodemus is meeting in the darkness with him who is the light of the world. Nicodemus has been infected with a malady that infects all of us, and that is that we all think that we are better than we really are. That's why many people see no need for a church, for Jesus, for Christianity, because they see no need for a Savior. They are living in the darkness of sin and unbelief, and they often don't even realize it. If they could form the question, it would go something like this. If there is a God, he would see me as a pretty good person, wouldn't he? Well, this was Nicodemus' question in the darkness. How can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, whatever is born of flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. It doesn't matter how good we think we are. God knows what we really are. He knows what we have done, what we have left undone, and what we are by nature. There is nothing good with, that lives within us. King David puts it accurately and succinctly. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. We are by nature evil, corrupt, vile, wretches filled with sin and death. But our triune God loves us too much to allow us to stay that way. He, he loves us too much to allow us to languish in our sin and death. And so that's why he created a path of salvation. At the beginning of the world, there was water. And the Holy Spirit was hovering over those, those waters. And now God makes us new creations through water and the Holy Spirit hovering over those waters. Jesus told Nicodemus, Amen, amen, I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus is speaking about baptism. And there are plenty, who, plenty of people who deny the power and efficacy of baptism. They will question mockingly, how can water do such great things? And this is why many Christian churches do not baptize infants. And so what you need to do is just pull out your catechism. And now you have the catechism in the front of your hymnal. There on page 291, you can read to your friends and family members who deny the power of baptism about what Martin Luther says about baptism's power. He says, how can water do such great things? It is certainly not the water that does such things, but God's word which is in and with the water, and faith which trusts this word used with the water. 
For without God's word, the water is just plain water and not baptism. But with this word, it is baptism. That is, a gracious water of life and a washing of rebirth by the Holy Spirit. Where is this written? St. Paul says in Titus chapter 3, God saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit when he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. I imagine that Nicodemus came with a legitimate curiosity asking how can these things be? In her response to Lydia's paper, her theology professor said that she, as a professor, is just asking questions in the class. She wrote to Lydia, I love your zeal for God, but please know that asking questions is not blasphemy. It's just part of human nature. God can handle all our questions, doubts, struggles, and issues. And when Lydia texted me that, she also added her own commentary, it isn't blasphemy, apparently. Which I replied, Teaching students to question the truth of Scripture is the definition of blasphemy. Well, Jesus answered Nicodemus's legitimate question. You are the teacher of Israel, and you don't know these things? Amen, amen, I tell you. We speak what we know, and we testify about what we have seen. But you people do not accept our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Well, putting... Jesus' words into 21st century context, we can confront our unbelieving friends by telling them that right now they are denying common sense because they are questioning earthly things like biology, sex, and nature. And if they cannot understand these basic earthly things, how can they then hope to understand heavenly things with their woke wisdom of this age? Fellow saints, much of the time we are afraid to share our faith with others, aren't we? And one of the reasons that we're afraid to talk to other people about God is because we feel like we don't know enough about God's word. And it's probably true. We can always know more of God's word. But where you can start is just share a Bible story with them and explain it to them. That's what Jesus does with Nicodemus. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The children of Israel had rebelled against God and Moses. They had grumbled and complained in the wilderness, and so God struck them down by sending venomous snakes to strike them. When they were bitten, they would die. That was God's justice. And yet God, in his mercy, also told Moses to go fashion a snake out of bronze and then put it up on a pole. These people deserve death. And yet God gave them the opportunity to, for life by looking up at this snake on the pole in faith. And we have a symbol of that with the banner on the east wall. So you can tell your unbelieving family members that that all of us have the venom of sin and death coursing through our veins. It will kill us, body and soul. And yet God has given us an antidote 
not with a snake on a pole, but with the Son of God lifted up on a cross to pay for the sins of the world. Now, all who look to Jesus on the cross in faith will have eternal life with that Savior. And then you can recite to them that Bible verse that you memorized. And if you haven't memorized it, I encourage you to do so. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. No matter what questions people have in the darkness, this verse answers most of those questions and shines light into the darkness. So when they ask mockingly, what gender is God? Answer, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. They ask, they ask legitimately, who then can be saved? Answer, whoever believes will not perish. They can ask honestly, what kind of loving God sends people to hell? Answer, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You see, somewhere along the line, you, your, friend, your, your children, your grandchildren, you are going to be asked questions in the darkness. They may be honest and open questions. They may be mocking and derisive questions. They may be heretical and demonic questions. Most of these questions can be summed up with the question of them asking, who is God? And that's really the question that Jesus is answering for Nicodemus. Here's your answer. Who is God? He is eternal and unfathomable. He is righteous and merciful. He is just and gracious. On his own, he is unknowable and unapproachable. But through Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, who also became the Son of Man, now he has made himself knowable and approachable that while we were still sinners while we were still rebellious enemies jesus was lifted up on the cross to pay for our sins to heal us and save us now through the waters of baptism we have been born from above and we are adopted into god's holy family who is god he is god our father who is at the same time both just and merciful. He is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and also our Savior. He is the Holy Spirit who is hovering over baptismal waters and blows wherever he pleases. Or you can just recite John 3, verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Because these two verses answer so many questions that are asked in the darkness. Amen.